Welcome to the Making Do podcast. I'm Emily Kerfinell, and this is a new podcast series with creative inspiration for makers growing businesses in lean times. A little background on the podcast. I'm the founder at Wholesale in a Box, a subscription service that helps makers get their handmade lines into brick and mortar stores. We've been seeing firsthand how severely the stores and makers we serve have been affected by COVID. But we're also seeing incredible ingenuity, generosity, and innovation. We're seeing makers making do. So this podcast series is an experiment. I want to share stories of the challenges makers are facing, as well as creative approaches they are experimenting with. Today, I am talking to Hannah Armstrong of Quiet Cricket Studio in Austin, Texas. Quiet Cricket is a line of natural, handcrafted candles and body care items like natural deodorant and natural shampoo. Hannah has deep background in ethnobotany, farming, and permaculture. And that background in plants and sustainability informs every choice she makes with the line. Last week, in the midst of the COVID crisis, Hannah also started an innovative and generous pay-what-you-can program. Today, Hannah tells us about that program, as well as the opportunities, financial challenges, and tough choices that she has been facing. One quick note, the audio quality for this interview is not perfect, but I think Hannah's insights and experiences are so interesting and important. So we're forging ahead with what we have. Hey, Hannah, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. Hey, Emily, thanks for having me. Sure. So before we jump into the other questions, I was thinking we could just hear a little bit about what your day looks like today, since um, with all the changes, I feel like each day is so different. Totally. Yeah. Thursdays for me are actually the most structured day of the week. I've sort of scaled back all of my shipping um, to one day, so I'm not running out to the post office multiple times a week. So Thursdays, I pack orders and I do deliveries for free in Austin as well, since I'm no longer at the market. So yeah, generally Thursdays are packing orders and delivering. Got it. Is that a nice change of pace or tiring or both? It has been, yeah. It's it's added some structure to the week, which can be pretty fluid under normal circumstances anyway. Um, And it's it's given sort of like a nice, a nice structure and framework to work with. And it's instead of packing orders, like sporadically one or two at a time, like it's nice to batch them as well, which, you know, they always recommend you do. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So backtracking a little bit, will you tell everybody about yourself and your journey as a maker and quite cricket? Totally. I have always loved working with my hands and like being creative and Yeah, I think part of that has just been doing projects like this and that, trying different things out um, and working on organic farms for years. And that was a really great way to like live a sort of seasonal lifestyle and spend a lot of time like in the summers picking and processing fruit and vegetables. And then in the winters, sort of shifting gears and doing more at home inside projects that you've been thinking about. And candles are definitely one of those projects. And so over time, that became something that I wanted to try to make a living at. So what has been the evolution of Quiet Cricket? When did you start and what is the focus of what you do? Yeah, I started in 2017. I had like gone back to school um, and was sort of wrapping that up and sort of graduating and doing AmeriCorps and back in the farm life and missing the 
to like making aspect of things and sort of the creative aspect of being in school. Um, there's always been an art component to, to different classes that I've taken. So I started Quiet Cricket by, do, by making candles. They were all unscented, by the way, um, and doing botanical illustrations. So yeah, and that's, that's definitely evolved over time, but that's where it started. And what is the set of products that you sell today with the brand? They're no longer unscented candles. They're mm-hmm. scented with essential oils. And I've been making deodorant for myself for years and dry shampoo and started offering those as well. Um, and I think I sell more deodorant now than I do candles. And everything is plant-based and botanical. So that's, that's the overarching theme. Um, yeah, a little more body care as well. Yeah, and you put a lot of, from working with you, I know a little bit about it, but you put a lot of thought and science and art behind the botanical choices that you make with each product, right? Absolutely. I think for me, it's mostly about like getting to know different plants. And like my emphasis of study was ethnobotany. So like how people and plants interact and sort of that that relationship is fascinating to me and how we depend on plants and how they in turn depend on us and sort of the cycles that go with that. So I'm really intentional about sourcing good quality ingredients and pure plant ingredients to put into the product. Okay. And then you're, I mean, from what I understand, your line is really known for that and for its efficacy. Like the deodorants are amazing and you don't have (laughs) a million products, but you have several that people can really depend on. Is, Is my perception what you're known for more generally? Yeah, I think so. I think what I'd like is to be sort of a longer term relationship with people. Um, so it's been really gratifying to have people come back and say, Hey, I love this deodorant. I love a refill. And like having this cyclical system for the plants, for the people, for the, the objects that we put them in. So like I do still offer plastic tubes for deodorant, but they are reusable. And so having people bring back the glass jar that their deodorant is, is in or bring back the plastic tube or bring back the candle jar because it's a product that they enjoy and they want to keep every component of it in use and having this long-term relationship. And that's, that's the idea. Okay. And you sell your line, you mentioned markets. What's kind of the mix of different places you sell your line? Yeah. So I definitely started with lots of little markets here and there um, without having a set schedule. And that for me got pretty overwhelming kind of quickly, having to keep track of all of that. So I've been able to scale back to just doing farmers markets on the weekends which has been really nice like it's a great like that's my comfort zone the farmers market so having a consistent stable market that I'm at every single week and then also I have a whole handful of wholesale accounts at any given time and I've been putting a lot more effort into focusing on that because that has seemed like a more sustainable route to grow my business into something that can sustain me as well and online has always been a part of my business as well and it's you know, it's grown over the years, but it's still not, not to the level that could replace markets or wholesale. Okay. Okay. One of the things that we've been focusing on in this podcast series is this concept of making do as in making the most out of limited resources. And so I was curious, is that something that you've seen as a value that has been important to you in, in your work with Quiet Cricket? Absolutely. I mean, just starting out, it's like I started making candles with like the scraps of wax from other candles that 
I didn't want to waste and in a crock pot with a ladle, which was a hot mess, but, um, Mm. and it was in a garage that was uninsulated and didn't have a bath. It was a whole thing. Um, But yeah, I think I started out with making do and I think financial constraints are an obvious one, but space and time are sort of the ways that that shows up for my business. Like, you know, financial constraints limit space. And when you're working in a 400 square foot apartment with your partner and dog and your business is in the corner, it's a little tough to to spread out and efficiently do what you need to do. So then that shows up in taking more time. And I think also not having the money to invest upfront in really high quality, like professional photography or graphic design or things that would sort of speed up the process of growing wholesale accounts or things like that, or getting into larger markets. It just takes a little more time and that's okay. I think being mindful of that and not, not rushing the process and saying, Hey, it's okay. It's just going to take me a little longer to save up that money and then I'll do it and then do the next thing as it comes along instead of sort of looking and like, Oh, someone else was able to start up and have this beautiful website and 50 wholesale accounts off the bat and like it's okay like it's okay to take a little longer and have those constraints that's mm-hmm. fine it's interesting too what you're mentioning about as an example using candle scraps you know or that you used to when you started and so it's it's just occurring to me that the intersection between sustainability um i guess energetic but environmental sustainability in particular intersects a lot with this concept of making do and getting started and being scrappy. Absolutely. And I think like the whole concept of making do, it's like, well, what do you have that you can use? And like, what's Mm -hmm. the best use of your resources? And I think that that's something to carry over into everyday life, whether or not you have those constraints imposed upon you or you impose them on yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of what sustainability is, right? It's like choosing yeah. some constraints even when we don't need to so that we can do things for a longer time. Right. Yeah. And back to with the scrap wax, I've actually come full circle. Like this past week, I started making um, little fire starters that are, I've saved, you know, a year's worth of candles that I've burned or test candles um, with like the tiny little wax residue at the bottom you know I'm really careful to make sure that everything is size the wicks are sized appropriately to the jar so there's not much waste but you know there's that tiny little layer at the bottom so I scraped all of those out and cleaned the jars and I used that wax with sawdust to make little fire starters so then nothing's going to waste that's so cool do you find that your um (laughs) your customers are especially excited about that aspect of your brand or is that more something that is important to you and that's not why they buy the product you know it's funny it's something that it's just like what I do and that's what yeah. gets me excited about yeah. my brand so it's been really gratifying to see that that's actually what draws people to my business too. it is like, okay. I think sometimes I worry yeah I worry about coming off a little strong like I have a lot of ideas that I'm really passionate about and you know I think sometimes they can alienate people a bit, but I've been, it's been really great to see how many people connect with that and encourage it. And I've had wonderful conversations with customers, with folks at the farmer's market who run it about different ways I can improve and push and do better because I'm not perfect. No one's perfect, but like being able to have those conversations with customers and with people involved and engaged with the brand about ways to push it even further and grow is, 
fantastic. And then that's kind of a journey you're all on together. Exactly. Yeah. So thinking, turning more to the recent past, how has coronavirus affected you and your business? Yeah. So wholesale orders stopped. That's just on pause right now. And surprisingly, my market's not canceled. Because I'm doing the farmer's market, they are considered a critical food access point, which they are. And I'm so glad that they're still open and available for folks. But I make candles. Like, arguably, that's a luxury good. And I don't feel responsible or ethical still attending markets under the circumstances. So I had to make the decision for myself and for my business that that's not something I'm going to do. And so that's been more or less a self-imposed restraint or constraint. Yeah. And so that's, that's been a big chunk of my income. And online has definitely scaled up, but still nowhere near, nowhere near markets. So that's been interesting to navigate for sure. And you said it's you and your partner and your dog in your 400 square foot apartment and candle production facility. So that that's what your self-isolation looks like. Well, thankfully this year I was actually able to move. So I've got okay. a dedicated studio space. Yeah, that's okay. been, the constraint of space has been lifted. Um, it was slow in coming, but I have a converted garage now with air conditioning and shelving and dedicated workspaces. And it's been incredible, you know, like trays for all the candles and stacking and storage. It's, it's a delight. <laughs> like, so space is not such a constraint anymore. And that garage is part of your, it's like attached to your home? It is, yeah. So what have been some of the logistics of your home and work and what has all that looked like over the past few weeks? I've definitely just sort of taken a big step back the last few weeks and been really slow about approaching my business because it is something that I'm, I'm hyper aware is not a first priority for folks. I think food, housing, water, safety, like those things are first. This is more of a secondary, like mental wellness thing. So a big part of what I've done is just sort of taken a step back and processed everything that's been going on. And like, it hasn't been a ton of hands-on work, but when I have been focusing on work, it's been cleaning things up in terms of subscriptions and expenses for my business that maybe I don't need right now and like reassessing all of that um, as well as just focusing on the space, cleaning the space, getting things restocked and organized. Yeah, I think just getting myself a little more organized to wrap my head around like what's going on and sort of the shift taking place in the world. Very fluid work days. (laughs) That seems like such a easy, I think for many of us in a crisis to start panicking and moving faster. And I think your insight about cleaning up and moving more slowly is such a a good one. Thanks. It's, I think we could all use a little space. And I think a lot of times as a society, our focus is so heavily on being productive yeah. that we don't actually take the time to take care of ourselves or the people around us and check in and see what actually is important. What has been kind of your evolution as you realized that you weren't going to attend the farmer's market, that your wholesale sales weren't coming in? What has your emotional journey looked like over the past couple weeks? Well, it's been a roller coaster. (laughs) There have definitely been moments of panic of like, well, what is the future? And also logically, it's like, well, everything is okay and going to be okay or it's not and that's okay too and you know it's just taking a lot of space to have acceptance for 
things are out of my control and they are changing and just being open to what that looks like. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been an interesting, an interesting thing to do. And, you know, candles are actually what's really helpful for me with all of this. It's like, okay, just take a moment and sit with a candle and like be still when there's outer chaos and unknowns. It's nice to have this tangible object to focus on and take a minute to recenter with. What time of day do you have your candle time? It started as a morning ritual for me during like self-imposed quarantine. I would say it's like waking up and not having structure and not necessarily having a pressing reason other than my dog to get out of bed. Yeah. Lighting a candle and just being still and taking that moment has been really good. And then also in the evening, you know, just winding down and decompressing from all the thoughts that have been whirling about the world. That's both morning and evening have been kind of the times that I lean on it the most. Do you have any other um, things that you've been doing that you have found supportive in taking care of yourself? Yes. I actually was in the process of getting a garden started when things started shutting down in Austin. So I was able to hurry and get that in place and um, traded with some folks for seeds and Working in the garden and just sitting outside in that space has been the best thing. Like, I haven't had access to space to grow food for a while, and so it's been really nice to spend time in nature. Yeah, that I have also found getting outside to be so, so helpful. What have been some of the hardest parts for you of the past few weeks in of self-isolation? I think just the uncertainty of, you know, my parents are older. It's like, when am I going to be able to see them again responsibly? Like, even if we open things up, like, will I be able to go visit them? They live in a rural community that doesn't have a ton of resources. So coming from Austin, which has been a pretty big hotspot, going to a rural place, it's like, well, that seems questionable. I think that uncertainty has been the hardest part. Yeah, I think for, for a lot of us, the uncertainty is really hard. So one of the things that I was so excited to talk to you about is your Pay What You Can program, which I believe you announced publicly about a week ago. Yeah. I would love to hear all about this. So let's start by just backing up to when you started thinking about the Pay What You Can program and what your inspiration was for it. Totally. The Pay What You Can program, it's it's definitely not something that I created on my own. It's like something that I think marginalized people have been saying for a long time is that capitalism doesn't necessarily serve everyone. And so even just starting my business, it was kind of a tough decision. It's like, how do I sell objects? Like, how do I ask for money in return for this thing that I created? And I think that's a thing that a lot of makers struggle with. Yes. Um, and like struggling with how to price my objects. Like when I started, I wasn't even covering, like I was charging $5 for a two ounce candle and wasn't even covering like at all the costs. Like Mm -hmm. I was calculating raw goods, but not calculating, you know, insurance for an object that could burn someone's house down. That is expensive. And like Mm -hmm. website fees and taxes and tax software. And one day I will need an accountant and I'm going to have to pay for that. (laughs) um, So I think it's been a challenge from the beginning of like how much can I ask for, for this thing that I've created and want to be able to continue creating while sustaining myself. And so I've, I've seen other makers doing sort of little, like even some big brands, I think like Everlane has a pay what you can section of their website. Some other big ones that I can't think of. 
And, you know, a lot of therapists right now are offering sliding scale um, during the crisis and at other times. And so especially in a time of crisis, it's really obvious to ask, what do I have to offer? And this just seems like a really good time to implement this like, hey, you know, I have time on my hands and I have materials and candles are really helpful for me in navigating chaos. And if you would also find this helpful, but even if you can't pay full price, I would love to offer this to you. And so that's, that's kind of how the pay what you can thing was born. And you mentioned that it's something that you had thought about for a long time. And then this crisis kind of gave you the push to put it in place. What are some of the specifics of it? That's one of the things I loved about your announcement and the way you put this together is how specific the guidance you've given is. So can you tell everybody how you've set that up? Totally. So I was really intentional with the wording that it's not a sale. I think that we have this sale culture and this this really ingrained mindset of like, well, how much can I get? Like, what can I get? Um, whereas right now, what I'm really trying to put out there is like, what do I have to offer? Mm-hmm. Um, and so very careful about the wording. It's not discounts. It's like, what can you do? What do you have to offer? And so I broke it up into tiers where it's totally self-assigned and it's just guidelines, but I've offered some ideas for folks like, okay, you know, the highest paying tier, it's like, you know, if you have stable finances, if you have not been laid off, if you, you know, assessing different privileges we have, and then also sharing with people, if you do choose this bracket, this is what you're doing. Like you are supporting me as a maker and you're also making available this tool that could be really helpful for someone else and their mental wellness. And that's a really great thing. And so having different levels of like, okay, if you have lost work, but you have this much saved, or you have other sources of income, or the lowest tier, like, you know, you're out of work, you don't, you know, there's a lot of financial instability or other chaos in your life. If you're a frontline worker, that's when you would pay the lowest. And I think that's fantastic. And so what my experience has been with people is they're probably assigning themselves to categories higher than I would assign them, which is really beautiful that people want to offer as much as they can. And your category, so there's, are there four tiers and they range between 100% of retail down to 10% of retail. Is that right? To 20% retail. Yeah. And my, my thought, sorry about my dog there. Um, no, he's fine. My thought process with the 20% being the bottom tier is that just about covers my material costs. I can't afford to lose money on raw goods just so that I can be able to continue offering these things, but I can afford to donate all of my time and maybe the lowest year doesn't need to pay for website fees or insurance or other behind the scenes costs. And so that's kind of the, the idea with the lowest, lowest rung. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then over the past week, what has it been like? So how many orders have you gotten within this framework and what's kind of the breakdown of where people are placing themselves and feedback you've gotten and what's the experience so far? I've gotten about 10 orders so far this week and not a single one below 80% of retail. Really? Yeah. And then oh donations, gosh. like the fire starters that I've been making, they're donation-based and I've gotten several large donations for the fire starters that I'm then taking those proceeds and working with a local farm. It's Hatton Heart Farm to buy farm seconds. They're totally good food sources. They're just maybe a little ugly and wouldn't make it at market and donating those to local food banks with that. So far, the response has been overwhelmingly positive from folks. The orders have been like 
people that I know who have ordered, I'm like, I would have put you in a lower bracket, but that's really kind of you. You know, it's been kind of beautiful. And I would love to make it available to more folks. Were you worried about anything when you started it and announced it? Not really. I think I added a little caveat, like reserving the right to not fill an order if I feel like it's taking advantage, like if it's an order that I can't sustain. I'm thinking in terms of if somebody's buying in bulk and like just using it like a sale and they might resell it or something. Mm -hmm. Like just reserve that right just in case to refund and not fill those orders. But I think especially in a time of crisis, people understand what the idea is and want to help. Yeah, it does. It feels that way across many channels that I'm seeing as people are doing a good job asking, like you did, what do I have to offer? That's a hard question to ask though. Sometimes I think, you know, as a small business owner, you have the pressure to pay rent and pay bills. And do you find (laughs) any way? I don't, have you been struggling with that? How are you centering yourself more around what you have to offer rather than feeling panicked about what you need to stay afloat? Yeah, no, for sure. And so I think the reason that I've been able to offer this and have reading room is because I've been one of the few people who's actually been able to get through to unemployment support. So I have the basics of my personal essential needs. They're covered and I'm okay. And so that's why I personally have the breathing room to do this right now. Whereas other business owners are having to do GoFundMes because they haven't gotten any support yet or things of that nature. So it's definitely not something that everyone has to offer right now. And that is totally okay. Like definitely having that breathing room is sort of what put me in this place. But that came from you. I mean, probably acting pretty quickly to secure that help for yourself. Oh yeah. Uh, no, I That's interesting. It was, a, it was a panicked week of like, okay, like how can I get my finances in order? Like with this whirlwind mentality of really diving in on the internet and looking at every bill, calling every calling my phone plan. Like, I don't need unlimited. I'm not at markets. How low can you get me? Or like calling my car insurance. Like, how low can we go on this? And just canceling everything that I don't need right now. And yeah, it was, it was a whirlwind. (laughs) And then you got unemployment. I mean, just to dwell on this for a quick second, because it does apply to so many makers and self-employed small business owners. So you applied for unemployment as a self-employed person with Quiet Cricket. No, I had actually gotten a coffee shop job um, a few months before. Yeah, I was like, okay, Okay. responsible. You know, I'm going to start a retirement fund with this. Like, I'm going to like have savings and pay off debt, you know, as my like lanyard, let me keep myself stable because self-employment is so up and down with the finances. And so I was able to apply with that and got approved for like basically nothing with that income, but with the stimulus package that added enough to make it a sustainable amount. Got it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And so as far as I know, the self-employment, unemployment will be open within the week for folks. I think on the 28th is the day that it opens up. But yeah, so far, that's why I've been able to (laughs) access that. Okay, okay, that's helpful. As you look forward for your work with Quiet Cricket, what feels scary and what feels promising? As a whole, it's really scary right now. It's like, is this a time where being self-employed, making something that's arguably non-essential is ethical? And I think as a whole, like, I believe in living in a society where people can make a living off of their own creation. But right now, it's just hard to 
look forward and see what that looks like because, you know, markets will reopen, but will that be safe for me to go back as somebody who has candles? Like when people mm-hmm. come to the market, they pick up every single object and put it to their nose and to their mouth and their children do the same thing. And so it's like, wow, this is a vehicle that would be really effective at potentially spreading germs. And so looking at like, what do the next two years look like for me as a candle maker specifically? And I'm not sure. Um, I definitely don't have an answer right now, but online is definitely where I'm focusing and seeing what I can do. I think I'm just trying to be really open to the possibilities in the future and like what that's going to look like and knowing that it's going to be really different for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts or advice for other makers or business owners who have seen their income sources shift or disappear? Yeah, I think just being really open, things change all the time. And this is really sudden and for everyone, like across the board, but things are impermanent and that is a given and just being really flexible and open to the ways that we can shift instead of fighting it, not the most helpful thing you can do for yourself. And then as far as specific concrete advice, keeping your business account and your personal account separate, especially when things are tight, that is so important. It's so hard to do when things are really tight, but that's when it's most helpful. And so you keep your business and your personal account separate and you decide how much, if anything, to pay yourself out of your business account. Is that right? Exactly. Like I make sure that I have my website covered. I have enough in the account to reorder inventory so that I can keep the business afloat, even if it's not a sustainable income for me. Okay. Do you look at that like a week at a time at this point or a month at a time? How are you, how frequently are you in those numbers? Every week after markets, it was every Tuesday. Right now I'm doing Thursdays and looking at it like, okay, can I afford to pay myself this week and how much? And right now it's not a great income, but mm-hmm. it's there. <laughs> um, that's okay. And it's okay for unemployment that you pay yourself a little bit out of quiet cricket. Yes. They have a set amount that's okay or not okay. I couldn't tell you the exact figure off the top of my head. It's like a percentage. They've got a ratio. There's some kind of calculator online to figure mm-hmm. out like how much you can make while collecting unemployment. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing some of the specifics around that because I think for many of us, it's like we get caught with both the big picture uncertainty and also some of the uncertainty around all of these little details of loans and unemployment, all this stuff can get very overwhelming. So I appreciate you being open to sharing that. Absolutely. And I think that that's one thing that historically that I felt like I have to offer, like As an introverted person, it's usually one-on-one things that I can do, like talking to people and sharing resources that I have access to, like, oh, here's a link to this thing that I found helpful, or like, oh, I know this organization is offering this. Like, that's something to offer. Like, that's not financial, but that's something that a lot of us can do, and it's a way to support each other without necessarily taking anything from yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that's a lot of what you've done with your pay what you can program. I think it's so much of what you do all the time with your business and your leadership in the community with your ethics and how you run your business. And so I want to say thank you so much for talking to me today and for that work that you do every day. Oh, thanks. Emotions. I think this will be so helpful for people. And um, I think, you know, your, your reminder to stay open is such a good one and such a good touchstone for me too. Oh yeah. It's tough. It's like, 
you know, I think the first response was like, what? But this thing that I'm used to is like, I know. not there anymore. And it's like, yep, yep that's the way it goes. Like that's yeah. life, you know, and this yeah. is a big one, but just being open makes it easier on yourself if nothing else. Yeah, I know. Right. And, and who knows what possibilities are coming down the road? We don't know. Uh, yeah. Again, thank you for doing this. Thanks, Emily. Yeah. All right. We'll be in touch. Take care. That's it for today's episode. You can find the podcast, get in touch with me, and find full show notes at makingdopodcast.com and makingdopodcast on Instagram. If you like the podcast and you want to help us continue, you can review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you have a story of how you're making do as a maker right now, we would love to hear it. Leave us a voicemail or send us a text message with your story anonymously or with your name at 845-202-0059. Thank you so much, and we will see you on the next episode. 